encourage you to grab the blue card in front of you and write down some basic information so we can get to know you. On the back of the card, there's a place to put prayer requests. Anyone can write a request down, and when the offering plate passes here in just a bit, drop the blue cards in there and they will get to the staff. Before we go any further in the service, we just want to take a minute and let you know a few things that are going on in the life of the church so you can know how to get involved. Our annual spring carnival is right around the corner. This is a time where we have a family carnival in our church. Literally hundreds of people from the community will come to our church, and we need you to make it happen. There are a couple of different things we need you to do for this outreach. First, pray for it. Spend time asking God to bring people to our church and for this to help FBC make connections with the community around us. Second, invite your friends. This is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, co-workers, neighbors, and family members. Third, volunteer to serve during the event. Outside the sanctuary, you will find a sign-up sheet. Go sign up there to serve during a portion of the event and be a part of FBC impacting our community. VBS is just around the corner. This is a week where kids come and hear the gospel through a lot of great activities. VBS is an opportunity for us as a church to reach the kids of our community. The dates for VBS this year are June 15th through the 19th. If you would be interested in investing in the kids in our community through Vacation Bible School, contact Philip Reinke. My last announcement is our new Pray, Give, Go partner for the month, which is South Asia. We partner there with an orphanage and pastor school that works to plant churches and reach people for the Lord in their area. Our goal this month is to buy them 1,000 Bibles. The Bibles will cost $3 a piece, and you can pay either through Secure Give on the website or by coming to the church office. That's all the announcements I have for today. Here at FBC, our vision is that every person would desire God, be discipled, and devote themselves to serve. One way we are doing that this year is by doing a chronological reading plan as a church. Whether you've been on the plan with us from the beginning or if you're just now hearing about it, I'd encourage you to pick up where we are and commit to studying the Bible with us. If you would like that plan, you can pick them up at the Welcome Center in the lobby outside of the sanctuary. I pray that this service would play a part in that vision and help you live for Christ in your day-to-day -day life. Thanks. good i was kind of wondering how y'all were going to do the 8 a.m was like they were awake you guys did well too but it's 10 45 so you have an unfair advantage uh my name is alex fisher i'm the interim pastor of youth and college here at first baptist we're super thankful that you're here if this is your first time um, there's a blue card in front of you if you could fill that out with some basic information so we could get to know you that'd be awesome um, on the back of that card there's a place to put prayer requests so you can write a request down there and then tomorrow morning we as a staff are going to get together and pray over those it's something we really enjoy doing every week um, just real quick, a couple of announcements. Um, tomorrow night is Cultivate, which is a monthly women's event here at our church. They meet for fellowship, Bible study, and great food. So uh, if you're a lady and you want to come, it's 6 to 8 tomorrow night in the fellowship hall. You can sign up at fbccookville.org slash cultivate or simply by just calling the church office. That'll be fine, too. And then secondly, we have our director of missions from the Stone Association, Mark Davis, is here to preach this morning. We're super thankful he is here. Someone said that they thought Jay Coot was here to preach. This is not Jay Coot. <laughs> But we are really thankful that you're here and excited to, to see you preach. And so, yeah, so let's all stand up and welcome those that are around us.
sinking sand. Do you believe that this morning? That your solid rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a firm foundation on which we can build our life.
so much that you do give us that firm foundation, Lord. Uh, that act of love that you did on the cross for us to provide a way of salvation so that our hearts could be reunited with the Father through you. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for that. As we continue on in the worship service and sing about um, where our hope is found, Lord, and, and, and the act that you did on the cross, Lord, of dying for our sins and being raised again, seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, may we reflect on that with joy and with passion. Lord, knowing that our relationship is with you and it is secure with you. So, Lord, be with us as we sing more. And, and Lord, may our, our offering, may our, our, our worship be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
so much that we do have um, your power, Lord, that leads us through life, Lord, that there is, there is no power in hell or scheme of man that can separate us from you. Uh, and Lord, I, another phrase in that song I just love, that from life's first cry to final breath, you command our destiny. Lord, we are in your hands uh, from, the, from the very conception to the time that we die and see you face to face, Lord. You are, are watching over us and guiding us through, path, through, through our, uh, our lives. So, Lord, as we continue on the service this morning, as the choir sings, uh, as Brother Mark comes to preach, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, allow us to see you for who you are and the greatness that you are. Uh, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated.
today. Uh, I'm always excited to talk to the pastors, and especially excited to talk to Pastor Scott when he called and said he was going on the trip, and he asked if I could come and preach uh, you know, one of two weekends. He kind of gave me the choice. I said, that's awesome. And I always ask the pastors, what are you preaching on? What, did, what are you doing? Is there something I can do and help you with? Or do I just preach my own thing? And he said, well, you know what? We're happening to be reading through the books of the Bible or doing a chronological reading through the Bible. I said, oh, that's awesome. Where are you at? He said, well, we're going to be finished in Genesis, or Exodus 26 through 40 and Leviticus 1 through 10. Leviticus 1 through 10. And I thought, man, McKinney, you know how to plan a trip. Open your Bibles, Leviticus chapter 1. Uh, you know, I told the service this morning that the, the, the message I preached this morning was actually the first message that I've ever preached out of the book of Leviticus in 25 years in ministry. So you hear sermon number 2 uh, out of Leviticus for me. It's been a wonderful study uh, walking through at least the first 10 chapters of Leviticus as you've read this past week, on the, uh, especially on the offerings that we see. You know, as you read through Genesis, you see the fall of humanity. You see man fall to sin. And then in the book of Exodus, you see God's people that are in bondage. You see them redeemed, right? You see them brought out of slavery. And now in Leviticus, we get to look and to read on God's people being given instructions for the very first time on how to worship God, to bring them back into a state of fellowship, a state of worship. Uh, and to bring uh, really a state of revival for the nation of Israel. So Leviticus, you know, is probably the most unpopular book, one of the most unpopular books, along with the first, what, ten chapters of Numbers are probably not too uh, popular either to, to, to preach on. But, man, Leviticus helps us to understand some very, very important things. We often look at a book like Leviticus and look at the instructions of these offerings, these sacrifices, and say, man, this book is outdated. This is nothing we need to do today, right? Jesus died on the cross. We don't kill animals anymore to go to worship. We don't have a tent of meeting. We have this building. Uh, we don't have to worry about getting up and going. God has placed us here. The book of Leviticus is outdated, and we probably largely ignore its contents. And I can tell you I'm guilty of that, as, as I've just confessed. This is my second sermon out of this book in 25 years. And other Old Testament books are like that too. But see, the problem with that is we need to understand God, not just from a New Testament perspective. We need to understand the Lord Jesus Christ and the character and the nature of God from the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way to the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are you with me so far? We need to understand that because we want to know God as God wants us to know Him. And without exception... Every offering that we see described in the first uh, seven chapters, ten chapters of, uh, first seven to eight chapters of Leviticus, every one and every feast that will be described as you read on through the book of Leviticus, every one provides a very clear picture of Jesus Christ. He is who John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You read Leviticus and you realize it's both a divine book and a personal book. It's divine from the very first verse in Leviticus 1.1 where Moses is called. It says, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. God is speaking to us through the tabernacle, giving us its meaning and understanding and the foreshadowing of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes, lives dies and is raised again. It's a personal book because the second verse says, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, 
He expects us to bring our gifts to Him. It's often important for us to know that what He's talking about here isn't just our physical things. He's not talking about for you and me today just the offering that we take during service. He's talking about us, the offering of ourselves. And one of the most important questions that we can ask in life is how do we, as an unholy people, and how do people who don't even know who Jesus is, how do we approach the one holy God? And do we even see a distinction between those two things? At the very beginning of the book of Leviticus, here's what we see. God is making a way. God is making a provision for His people to come to Him. God is making a way for those whom He has chosen to get to Him, to approach Him. And it shows us that Israel, now remember Israel, they are the chosen people. That's who God has chosen. They're the only ones chosen at this time. And it shows us that this Israel, who's been redeemed, who's been brought out of bondage, can find a way to God through sacrifice and then know how to walk with God through separation as they learn about the feast that they will celebrate together. Sacrifice, walk. Way and walk. So this morning... I want to talk to you about the burnt offering in chapter 1. And Leviticus 1.1 says this, Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, here's an important piece. The Lord calls Moses. Can I just tell you this? When the Lord speaks, you and I need to listen. We need to perk up. We need to drop everything and listen to the voice of of God. I'm 51, so there's been plenty of times when I've seen messages come from the President of the United States from the Oval Office. The President can speak from anywhere, any podium. But you and I know, if you've been around long enough, that when the President speaks from the Oval Office, the President has something pretty important to say. And it's usually a crisis in the nation, right? Usually something big is happening. When you and I know that there's going to be an address to the nation, the news tells us way ahead of time. And when we know there's going to be an address to the nation from the Oval Office, we tune in, do we not? Because we want to hear what's going on. And we want to hear what the President has to say. Why do we not, as people, give the same deference to the Word of God? Are you listening to me? Say amen if you heard that. Amen or oh me. Come on now. We have to give deference to the voice of God. When we read in God's Word, Thus saith the Lord when the prophets are speaking... When we hear Jesus speak to the disciples and Jesus speak to the crowds, do we put ourselves in the company of the crowd and go, I am all ears, Jesus. Speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Oftentimes we gloss over those things. We take those things for granted because we just are reading those words. God spoke to Moses at Sinai. Come and get the law. And Moses went and got the law. The law let us know very clearly, let the Israelites know very clearly that the holiness of God and His righteous demand was going to be on sinful man. The holiness of God and His righteous demands were going to be on sinful man. And though, as He spoke those words, He called Moses 
We cannot gloss over those words because He's calling us. The Lord is speaking to you and to me. Now when He calls Moses, He's going to say something pretty important. There hasn't been instructions on how to do this. The people are out. The tabernacle is there now. They, they have a tent of meeting happening. And he's saying, this is how you're going to approach me. Something big, God is saying, is going to happen. And you need to write it down. You need to take notes. You need to record this for the people of Israel. Now, God calls. And God calls Moses now, after giving him the law, to the sacrificial system. And you can kind of see law and the sacrificial system making up the justice of God. In Exodus, God gives Moses the definition of sin. That's what's contained in the law. He gives the consequences for sinning and breaking any of the ordinances of the law. In giving the law, God says to Israel, you now have a moral choice. Listen, God has given you and I the law. You and I now have a moral choice. Will we obey or will we disobey? In Leviticus, God gives Moses the other part that provides atonement for when someone sins, someone breaks the law. And as you read, this is what you read in Leviticus. We'll touch on this in a little bit. The, the atonement is available for a certain class of sin. It's the unintentional sin. The word that's translated burnt offering is the word ola, O-L-A-H in Hebrew. And it's universally translated burnt offering. But that's really not the transliteration of the word. The transliteration of the word is that it is, it means bring it near. It means ascending. So it's not just the sense that what's being put on the altar is being consumed. It's the smoke that's coming from that burnt offering. It's ascending. It's coming near to God. It's, it's Ola. It's smoke. And it's, there's something very, very, uh, very, very important for us to understand about that key element. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. See, he says, when any of you. Now, here's what we need to know. This particular offering is being understood from the worshiper's point of view. So the worshiper is reading this. That's you and me. As we're reading this, we can see how this is going to work through our point of view. And we see that this is not a mandatory thing. During some of the feasts and some of the festivals that they will celebrate, this is going to be a mandatory thing. But what he's talking about today, doing this on a daily basis or however often the worshiper wants to do it, it's not a mandatory thing. But it is a personal decision. It's made by individuals, made by people. And when they bring their offering to the altar, they are saying, I'm making this offering on behalf of myself. Other offerings are going to be made on behalf of the nation. This offering that we're talking about here in chapter 1, verse 1, it, the burnt offering is for me. I'm making this on behalf of myself. Which helps us understand this one thing. God dealt with the nation of Israel in an individual way, and He dealt with the nation of Israel in a corporate way. God deals with you and I, Christian, today in an individual way, 
God deals with us in a corporate way. God deals with our celebration, our worship in an individual way. God deals with our worship in a corporate way. Listen, God deals with our sin in an individual way, and God deals with our sin in a corporate way. You cannot escape the eye of God. You cannot hide in a church. You cannot hide in a group. God deals with you and I in an individual way and in a corporate way. The other thing to understand, too, is the animal that's being brought doesn't get a choice. It's an involuntary thing for the animal. But it's a voluntary decision for you and for me, for the worshiper at the time. God's people had to be willing to take responsibility, to be confessors of their unintentional sin of breaking the law, and take responsibility for that, and offer willingly a sacrifice to God to atone for that. Verse 3, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Verse 10, If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. Verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. What are we saying here? The sacrifice that people bring to the altar of God, it costs them something. And we see this list in in, in degrees of cost. If you were someone who had a herd that you could bring a bull to the altar, you had, some, you had some bling. You had some money. If you were somebody who had a herd, you had some money. And if you were somebody who didn't have any of those, you could bring a pigeon or a young dove to that altar. All to say this, God made a way and he didn't care what your station of life was. God made a way whether you were rich or whether you were poor. God still makes that way today. God makes a way for us to come to the cross whether we're rich or whether we're poor. Because there's only two classes of people in this world. There's saved people and there's unsaved people. We don't have rich and poor. We don't have black and brown. We don't have white and yellow. We have saved and unsaved people. And God made a way for all of us to come to the cross. We should allow, encourage, invite all who are willing to come to the cross to come. And poverty should not be a litmus test for anybody to come to church. God didn't care if they had the right clothes or Sunday go to meetings. He didn't care if they drove in the nicest cars. He didn't care if they took the best parking spaces. And He didn't care if they sat in your seat. He said, come. Worship. Say amen if you heard that. We need to not shut out people out of prejudice. We need to be careful. Costly to not as costly. Costly to not as costly. Meat was a luxury item for them. You, you, you just didn't live as an Israelite back in that time and automatically you had meat or a herd or a flock. You didn't have that. Only, only the rich of the rich could actually kill a bull and eat it for supper without offering it first as a sacrifice because they had plenty to do it with. The whole animal, this is important, listen to me, the whole animal in the burnt offering was burnt up. In the other sacrifices, there was meat to share. 
either by the priest, by the worshiper, by both. But there was excess that you shared. It was a part of the description, part of the rules, part of the direction of God that that could happen. But in this offering, the whole animal is consumed. What are we saying? Man, you are giving what you have, and you're giving all of what you have. If you don't get to eat meat because you need to bring this offering, then guess what? You don't get to eat meat. It's more important that you would give of your all to God than it would be to hold back and fill yourself with what you have. You listening to me? All. They didn't get to experience first world problems like we do. The entire animal, completely burned up, except for the skin. Only parts of the sacrificial animal were put on the brazen altar and consumed by fire for some of the other offerings. The remainder was used for food. It was an expensive thing, and this is why. Atonement is expensive. Atonement is expensive. And it's an expensive offering, and it represented a very, very personal sacrifice for the typical Israelite family to give up such a valuable animal. They deprived themselves in order that they would follow the instructions of God and be obedient to Him. As a general rule, the sacrificial animal had to be at least one year old, a male, unblemished. See, they couldn't go to their flock and look for the sick one and say, hey, this sick one, we're never going to eat this one, so let's just go ahead and burn that one. They couldn't be lame. They couldn't go to the flock or the herd and say, hey, this one here, we really don't want to reproduce this one here, so let's just take this one and kill it and give that one to God since that one's no good to us anyway. They couldn't look for the one who had had a, a, a deformity. They couldn't look for one that had a twisted horn and say, hey, that one's ugly. Let's get that one out of here. And give that one to God. Let it be consumed by fire because we're not going to do anything with that anyway. They didn't give God what they didn't want. They gave God what they wanted and sacrificed that on the altar of fire. So doesn't that beg the question for you and for me today? When we come to church... Are we bringing God our leftovers? Or are we bringing God ourselves? And it's very easy for you and me to come into this room and say, man, I made it to church, I checked the box today. But as we'll see here in a second, God requires more than box checkers, even in today's world. He requires followers that are faithful and fruitful for Jesus Christ and the advance of the kingdom of God. I pray that's what we are as a church. Couldn't just go pick the worst. It had to be your best animal, as near perfect as possible. And again, we're saying it was costly. No matter how poor, no matter how much we have or think we don't have to give to God, we should bring what we can because God will accept the sacrifice of what we have whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. There are many things that the, happened during these rituals. There are things, some things that the worshiper did and some things that the priest did. 
One of the things that the worshiper had to do was bring the sacrifice to the door, to the entrance. And so when a worshiper did that, the worshiper was acknowledging their sin. They were saying, yes, I'm bringing this to God in a voluntary way. It could have been in the morning. It could have been in the afternoon. It could have been in the evening. It was voluntary. So the worshiper is saying, I have recognized and taken responsibility that I have committed unintentionally a sin against the law, and I need to get right with God. And they would bring it. So he's taking responsibility for that. Without blemish, his very best. And it symbolizes this. God demands perfection. If you and I think that God does not demand perfection, we're missing the character of God. He demands perfection. Which is why you and I could never, ever earn His grace. We could never do it. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The worshiper would put his hand on the head of the bull, in this case, if we just stay with that particular animal. The worshiper lays his hand onto the animal before it was killed. And the worshiper was saying at that point, listen, I acknowledge that this particular animal is going to be sacrificed on my behalf. It's assigned this task. And I'm laying my hands on this animal, and I'm turning this animal over to God. The Hebrew word for laying on of the hands is called, is, is semika. I told the earlier service, there's probably a in there somewhere in Hebrew that I don't know. It's used more often in the Bible to a person who assigns authority. Assigning somebody a task. A transference of authority. There's an element of transferring guilt to this animal. The animal's owner is laying his hand on the animal's head saying, there's a guilt that I'm transferring to this animal and this animal's going to die on my behalf. So transferring the guilt, the killing of the animal, it substitutes the death of the worshiper. Because God demands perfection... The smallest sin, which is of gravest error against the character of God, deserves nothing short of death. He is not less holy because He sent Jesus to the cross. He is still holy. He is the holy of holies. He is the God of gods. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And that didn't change from Genesis 1 to today. He is still perfect. And He still demands perfection. Which is why Jesus is the one who had to go to the cross. The worshiper also had to kill the bull. After he laid his hands on the bull, he killed it. It wasn't the priest that killed the bull. It was the worshiper that killed the bull. And the Bible says that it was accomplished on the north side of the altar. Then the animal was skinned. And then it was chopped up, sectioned into pieces. And the worshiper was responsible to do that task as well, as well as washing the guts, the entrails, washing those with water. Now that 
procedure would change if there was a bird involved because the bird's not big enough to do that. So God had different instructions if there was a pigeon or a dove. But the point is this. The worshiper, the common person, was very active in his worship of God. He, in this particular sacrifice, performed most of the duties. And the priest officiated. The priest captured the blood in a container that was ritualistic and splashed it on the sides of the altar. The priest puts the meat onto the flames and the priest was responsible for organizing the wood a certain way and keeping that fire going a certain way. That was the priest's job, but it was the worshiper's job to do the work of cutting that animal up and supplying that to the priest so he could put it on the fire. When you look at that scene, you begin to understand this point, that when we come to church, we're pretty passive as compared to this. We're passive worshipers. They were active in what they were doing in worshiping God. We get to come in to a church and absorb. I love this morning's worship, both services. Just awesome. Greg does such an awesome job with the music and the praise team and the choir. The staff works all week long to pray through. The pastors, Pastor Scott, prepares a message. And we get to come into church on Sunday, listen to me, and consume that. Are you with me so far? Say amen if you're awake. We don't have to be really active in what we do. We come and we can check a box that we've been here. And if you put yourself in the shoes of the worshiper, they were not only bringing the animal and saying, okay, here you go. They weren't doing that back and away. It's okay, priest, take care of it. They were very active in how that animal even got to the altar. And all through that process, they were able to think through the sin and the holiness of God. The sin and the holiness of God. The death of the animal and the life that I have now. The blood that is spilled and the blood that I keep, that I get to keep. Sin and the holiness of God. And in watching that animal get consumed has taken everything from me. It's taken everything that I have. This animal may be the only thing that I have in my life and I'm giving it to God and I watch it consumed right in front of me. Sin and the holiness of God. What is the holiness of God worth to you. Are you with me? What is it worth to you? Now, I'm not criticizing that, but we do, we have, man, we have some luxury, don't we, today? We have some comfort today. We can come into church and experience worship with music. We can experience worship through the receiving of God's Word. We can, re- we can experience worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We can experience that. And then we get to go home as the staff and the church workers and deacons and while well, they prepare for the following Wednesday and the following Sunday service. We get to go home and then we can come back and visit the building again. We got it pretty good. So how can we become more active in our worship? We certainly don't have to cut up animals. But do you experience God through the words that you sing? 
Do you know even what you're saying to God as you sing those songs? Do you experience God through the reading of His Word and the preaching of His Word? Do you know, can you understand, do you receive the counsel of God? When you give of your tithes and your offerings, do you know that the church today hasn't changed in the last 20 years? The church today, each church member gives less than 2% of their income as an offering to God. We're encouraged to give our tithes and offerings. We can't even get to a tithe in today's church because we don't know how to manage our money. Does that make sense to you? So how active are we as a people in the worship of God? And that money part is not just the only way we give offering. It's our lives. Is Jesus just a part of your life? Or is Jesus your life? It's your whole self. It's your whole person. Including the things that you and I own. Say amen if you heard that. Sprinkling the blood. The priest had to sprinkle the blood. Dash it around the altar. There's life in that blood. It symbolizes the life that's given after death. You and I have blood that courses through our veins. And that makes us alive. And when that blood spills out, if we were to get injured and God forbid we bleed out, that life drains out of us. Without blood, we cannot live. When Jesus spilled His blood on the cross, that blood was spilling out. Without that blood in His humanity, Jesus could not live. Without blood, we cannot live. Blood is what gives us life, and the draining of that blood is what brings death. So Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which I've poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. I'm alive, but my blood is being poured out as a, as a drink offering, as Paul said. I am a drink offering for you. This blood is being poured out. Life is gone from the human body. And that, life, that blood signifies life and death at the same time. Are you with me? The washing of the entrails. The burning of the meat. The smoke rising up to God. Scripture says that God accepts that. It's pleasurable to Him. Because He prescribed it that way. When that sacrifice is offered in faith, it is pleasing to God. And that fire is the action of God accepting that sacrifice. So what about it? So what? What's the purpose for us? Well, the purpose of the sacrifice for the Israelites was to be accepted. The sacrifice is offered because sin has brought separation between man and God. And the person who's worshiping, the person who's offering the sacrifice knows and understands, I am separated from God because of my sin. This is not the first time we see the burnt offering. The first time we see it is all the way back in Genesis 8. But it's the smoke that's emitted from the sacrifice. The smoke that's coming from this burning flesh that's rising up to God, ascending upward to God. God smells the smoke, if you will. And it's pleasing to Him. It gave Him pleasure for two reasons. One, 
it indicates that the individual, the worshiper, is being obedient to the commands of God. Listen, if you want to know that God is pleased with your life, measure your obedience to the commands of Christ. He knows that we love Him if we obey His commands. If we just feel good about people, if I just feel good about Mike, I feel good about you, brother. I feel better about your wife. She's a nicer person than you. And she knows it, too. And you know it, too. I feel good about Mike. Mike and I are friends. We're not great friends because we've just met each other in the last six months, but we're getting to be better friends. And I feel good about Mike. But if I ignore the commands of Christ when it comes to Mike's life that I'm aware of, I'm not a friend to Mike. Are you with me? I'm not showing love to Mike. Because the Bible doesn't describe love as something that I feel. It describes love as something that I do. If you love the Lord your God, you will worship Him and Him alone. If you love the Lord your God, you will love your neighbor as yourself. If you love the Lord your God, you will obey the commands of Christ. If you love the Lord your God, you will live a life separate from the world. If you love the Lord your God, you will show Him through your actions that what you hear, what you say you want to do, what you say you believe are the things that you actually do. If you love the Lord your God. But we should no longer say we love the Lord our God if we're not willing to do the things the Lord our God wants us to do. So God desperately wants us to obey His commands. The second thing is it brings peace. Because God accepts the offerer's sacrifice. The offerer, the worshiper, is now at peace with God. And that tells us this. God desperately wants to be at peace with man. There's atonement that's involved here. The Bible says that, it's, that we're atoned for in the sacrifice, or the Israelites were atoned for, excuse me, in the sacrifice. There's a covering that's happened. He's sheltered from the penalty of judgment. And there's consecration. The whole animal is burnt up. I've given everything to God, and it's been burnt up. So how does God look in your life? Is God compartmentalized in your life, or does God fill every niche, every nook, every cranny? Is God just an add-on, or is God everything? Is Jesus, again, a part of your life, or is Jesus all of your life? Can you look at your life and name one area in your life where Jesus is left out of your life? Is He left out of your family? Is He left out of your worship? Is He left out of your sexuality? Is He left out of your treatment of the poor? Is He left out of your, your friends, the people that you run with, the people that you hang around? Is Jesus left out of any part of your life? Is He left out of your finances? Is He left out of your parenting? If He is... God wants to be at peace with you. Bring yourself to the altar and be consumed by the fire of God. The offering was pleasing. There's a sweet aroma, the scripture says. The offering is giving is given from a heart that says, I love God. If you seek to please Him, God will accept it. 
if you seek to obey Him, God will certainly accept it. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. When we look at the sacrifice and we see how we can apply it today, you have to know that this is a type. This is a foreshadowing. All of the sacrifices and all of the feasts are a foreshadowing, a type of what was to come. Jesus fulfills everything in the sacrifices. He fulfills everything in the feasts. Jesus Himself is the burnt offering. The entire surrender. Jesus surrendered Himself entirely even unto death to do the Father's will. John 10.17 Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it Again, Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. We're the burnt offering. The believer is the burnt offering. Everything we have, everything we are, everything we do, all of it belongs to God. Complete dedication. Complete consecration. It's putting your everything, your all, everything that you are, it's putting everything on the altar daily. It's putting your all on the altar at the beginning of every day, in the middle of every day, and at the end of every day. There's a perpetual flame that God is burning. He's saying, keep yourself on the altar. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it really does put a picture in the New Testament on what we're talking about. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you. Paul says, I beg you. I beg you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's our problem. We don't have a problem coming to God on a Sunday and saying, God, you can have all of me. We can come to this altar, come to these stairs, and lay out in front of them and say, God, you have my all. But the minute we hit those doors, we get off of the flame. We are not all consumed. We go we run for the first place of comfort where it doesn't hurt anymore. Are you with me? That's humanity. That's not a spiritual act of worship. That's us being people. That's us being people because we're human. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's an absolute term. And may your whole spirit, absolute term, your whole soul, absolute term. Your whole body, absolute term. Be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke eleven thirty six. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you 
light. Psalm 119.2, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Are you getting the message? The burnt offering is all-consuming. Nothing is left except for the hide. It's all-consuming. So the question for you and for me is, are we willing to be the burnt offering? When we made a decision to follow Christ, we, in a sense, put our hands on His head and said, Jesus' death is going to be my substitute. For the judgment of God, the wrath of God is going to be poured out. But it wasn't poured out on a bull for eternity's sake. It was poured out on the Son of God for eternity's sake. Here's one last little caveat. When God made a way from heaven for Jesus to be the final sacrifice, God did not put into play any kind of intentional or unintentional sin. You see, it's His death and His resurrection is supremely superior to the sacrificial system because you and I can come to Jesus Christ no matter what we've done, no matter how we've acted, no matter what we've said. We didn't have to go to church our whole lives. We didn't have to commit an unintended sin. We could have been just as disobedient as the day is long, and Jesus' blood will cover that sin and save you from hell. Because that's the gospel. And that's why there needs to be no other. Nothing needs to be added to it, and nothing should ever be subtracted from it. He died for you so that you could die to yourself and live for Him. Completely and fully consecrated, all consumed by the person of Jesus Christ. And that aroma... Oh, that aroma that goes up into heaven, ascends to heaven, comes near to God, is a sweet-smelling aroma to the God of heaven. Do you believe that? Friends, it's time for us to live that. It's time for the church today in America to rise up to understand that and to live that. And here's what I know. I know that if each individual were to decide to do that, I know the way that God would deal with the church corporately would be beyond your imagination. It would be beyond your ability and my ability to measure. It would be beyond our expectations. We cannot even fathom the thoughts that God has for us when we're completely obedient to His call on our lives. There's a great hymn that really helps us to understand this idea of surrender. All to Jesus, 
I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence daily live. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me, Savior, wholly Thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit and truly know that Thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessing fall on me. All to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to His name. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Now, we don't normally sing it like that, do we? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. That's a passive worshiper that doesn't feel the theological truth of a hymn like that. Are you with me? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Would you bow your heads? Father, every heart feels a sense of guilt. Every heart feels a sense of need for doing something to secure pardon, for doing something to be accepted, for doing something to gain favor. As people, God, we experience that. God, when we look at the sacrifices that we see in this book of Leviticus and throughout Scripture, we understand that they're only types, they're foreshadows, Jesus, of you. They're symbolic representations that point to the perfect Lamb of God, that perfect sacrifice that was to be made on Calvary. And all the sacrifices, Jesus, point to you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, we understand in our heart that sin can be forgiven. But sin has to receive a penalty. You've told us in your word that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You remind us in the Old Testament that you cannot look on evil. You're too pure to look on evil. And that there can be no fellowship between you and man. Between you and the sinner. Until sin has been dealt with. And the only way to deal with that sin is through sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God, my prayer today is that everyone in this room would have accepted, Jesus, your sacrifice on Calvary. Would have accepted your death as a substitute for their own. Where we have imputed our sin to you and you've imputed your righteousness to us. And while we don't understand almost all of those theological truths, they remain such a mystery to us. We can understand in the very simplest form if we have not accepted your sacrifice, then we are not in fellowship with you no matter how hard we try. No matter how we think we are. No matter how much we try to fake it. The truth is, we are not wholly yours. So God, I pray, your spirit would just do a work in this room today to convict us of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to convict us of our sin as an individual, and that you could transform us from death to life by simply believing through faith and accepting your grace and following Jesus Christ today. I pray, God, that we've made that decision, and I pray, God, that there are people that haven't, that are doing that right now. And I pray, God, for this church and pray for all of the staff and all of the leadership, all of the membership and all of the attenders that come to First Baptist Cookville. And I pray, God, that we would understand today that you want all of us, all-consuming, you want every part of us to be consumed by the fire of God. May we be a people who are not too proud, not too fearful. May we be a people that would be sensitive to stay on the altar until we were all-consuming. Never again to live as the world lives always to live as a kingdom servant and a soldier for the army of Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' precious saving name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.
together. Our Father and our God, um, we joyously come before you this morning, praising you and thanking you for the mere privilege of even approaching your throne, and yet you give us that, that grace and that privilege through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do ask that you would fill each person here with your Spirit, that we would not leave this place and let the words we've heard go out um, unfulfilled. Help us to Live our lives for you, knowing that worship should be all of life, not just on Sunday and when we come here. Lord, we ask your blessing on our missionaries, wherever they are in the world today, and for the ones from this very church who are across the ocean right now spreading your word. We ask that you would protect them from harm and bless their work, and that thousands would come to know you through what's done there. We pray, Lord, that you'll use each of us as we go through this week to to uh, not just obey you and follow you, but to spread the light of Christ to all that we come in contact with. We ask your uh, blessing on the offerings we're about to give. You would use them for your purposes and that you would guide those who spend it to do so wisely. We ask you to forgive us of our sin where we fail you and fall short. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for willingly going to the cross for us, the perfect Lamb of God, unblemished, once for all, 
the atonement made. We can scarcely comprehend it. And we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. And we have all eternity to cast whatever crowns you care to give us at your feet and praise you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless To this I hold, my hope is Jesus led and suffered for. 